you have your Bibles, find uh, Revelation chapter 22 with me. Uh, my introduction is going to sound a little bit like I'm going to launch into some kind of joke, but hang on, I'm not. Uh, I, uh, I've been listening to a series for a long time, and generally I try to listen to it one day um, during the week, uh, but I, I got behind when I went on the mission trip, and so I'm catching up. And uh, it's, a, it's a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, an Anglican, and a Baptist having discussions about theological things. And today they were talking about last things and um, what, you know, what they label eschatology, you know, things pertaining to the last things, last, the end of time. And, um, and so they were having this discussion, which has really felt like a revelation discussion, uh, but they were actually having it out of the end of the Gospel of Matthew and and they were talking about these millennial ideas, whether you're premillennial or amillennial. And, and I noticed the Baptist guy was just being quiet. And the reason why is because if you're a Lutheran, you have a certain view. If you're a Presbyterian, you have a certain view. If you're an Anglican, you have a certain view. If you're a Baptist, you have a bunch of views. And uh, as we often say in Baptist life, the tent is really big. And so they were not arguing. They were having a discussion, which in that sense is super refreshing. It was a really wonderful, it's been a wonderful series to listen to these, these guys who obviously love and respect each other as brothers talk about these things. But I, I kept saying, man, you, you, guys, you guys are arguing. Like you agree on the destination. You agree on the, on the driver, you know, it's God. You actually agree on the methodology. It's, 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 it's Christ. I said, I said, he should, this Baptist guy should just speak up and read. I literally was saying this. He should read Article 10 of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And so finally they say to him, you haven't said much. And he says, let me read something for you. This is how he starts. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally, personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Amen. You know what that's basically saying? Uh, if you don't know Jesus, you're in trouble. Somebody say amen. And I just thought, man, every once in a while, just a good general statement will cover a lot. And that's how I wanted to open the ending message of our series through the book of the Revelation. And I don't know if you have noticed it, but we haven't skipped a single verse. I have sweated through the study of the whole and through each and every clause. I haven't lost weight, but I think my brain now weighs less. And I want to say this. You can have all sorts of notions about when Jesus is coming back, exactly how he's coming back, at what time and what we call the future he's coming back. Here's what I'm convinced of. Anybody want to guess? He's coming back. And I'm convinced that if you are in Christ, it is, it is just like being in the ark. You're safe. You're safe. And if you're not in Christ, you're not safe. And so it was so refreshing to listen to those guys this morning. And, um, you know, they're never going to let me on their radio show. Um, I am not as learned as they are. 
uh, but it was refreshing that someone came to the same conclusion I did and read that. Said, listen, God is going to settle all this. Amen. And what the real factor will be is that you need to be right with Jesus. You need to be right with God through Jesus. And so without any sort of smugness at all, I'll say that's where this book ends up. He's going to come. He's going to come suddenly. He's going to come fully. He's going to come finally. And when he comes, it won't be time to correct anything at that point. We'll either know him or we won't. And, and if you don't get that out of this book, and this book doesn't humble you, right? And that was something I noticed on the program. Everybody was humble. They were just talking. All of them were convinced they need to stay near the Lord. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's a good word. That's what we need to be convinced of, that we need to stay near the Lord. John gives us in this, what, what they call an epilogue, I agree. He, re he repeats several themes. He is reaffirming. The trustworthiness of this book, the message of this book, he is pronouncing blessing on those who keep the words of this book, and he is promising consequences in the imminent return of Jesus. So tonight, as we close down our study of the book of the Revelation from the pulpit, I trust that the overall meaning of the book will land in your heart in a fresh way. It's this, Jesus is coming, so please... Come to Jesus. Beginning at verse number 6. This is how Revelation 22 reads. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon, what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they, might, so they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we open this book. I pray our final time from this book 
here in the sanctuary, here in the larger gathering of our local church. I pray you encourage us. And Father, give us that sweet conviction, the good kind of conviction where we're sure about our walk with you. And also, give us those cautioning convictions, ones where you're warning us, correcting us, so that you might draw us nearer to yourself. And then, Father, give us missional conviction, the sort of truth that lands in our heart and makes us live our lives for your glory and for our neighbor's good. Father, speak to us from your word as only you can. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Of everything that I've been learning from the book of the Revelation, this first thing I'd like to share with you has been the overall message that has landed on my heart. This revelation is meant to cultivate in us an eager expectation that shapes our living. Now, it's one of these times tonight where if you're taking notes, if you're looking in the bulletin and you're seeing nine points, and, you know, if you're, if you're a visitor, you don't even know to be nervous. But if you're a regular here, you had a heart attack and uh, probably wanted to come to the altar. So I am not going to chase all my rabbits, but I really want to. I want to say this. At the end of the ninth chapter of the, the book of Hebrews, he actually says when he returns, he'll return to save those who eagerly wait for him. In other words, somebody that really knows the Lord and is in present moment fellowship with him believes his return is imminent, and if not his return is imminent, the possibility of our standing before him could be imminent. In other words, we, we've learned to number our days, right? As the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we might obtain a heart of wisdom. If you're really walking with the Lord, you have a heart of wisdom. And the book of the Revelation is meant to cultivate in us just that sort of eager expectation. We see the signs that he's going to return. We've heard the truth and the promise that he's going to return. Now, someone would rightly say, wasn't this written over 1,900 years ago? Yep. Did John really feel like he could be coming back at any moment? Yep. And so did Athanasius and Irenaeus and Augustine and uh, all your heroes of the faith. You know, Martin Luther, John Calvin. I mean, even the eminent Timbos. I just see him. Was anybody listening? It was hard to tell by your faces. I, I feel it. I feel it just as much as if I were hearing John read the scroll out loud for the first time. Why do I feel that? Because he's promised it. Why do I feel that? Because the signs are plenty. Why do I feel that? Because his word says so. It's meant to cultivate in us an eager expectation that shapes our lives. Because surely, if Jesus does not come back tonight, there always remains the possibility that I may go see him tonight. Isn't that just true? And at that point, what's the difference? You might say, well, Tim, the difference is the culmination of the kingdom. Yes. And either our lives will work in concert with the culmination of the kingdom or we'll rest in Jesus until the culmination of the kingdom. The point is, I think revelation is meant to make us live on holy, reverencing worship edge. The good sort of edge. The good sort of edge. The sort of edge where it makes you razor sharp. Makes you Holy Ghost aware. It makes you look at your timepiece on your wrist 
and say, God has given me things to do today. That sort of edge. I believe that's why the apostle was led to write those words in verse number 7. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who believes that at any moment Jesus would stand before me or any moment I might stand before him and lives in this sort of beautiful awareness. Secondly, I believe this last passage and this book as a whole shows us a very solemn warning, and that's worship only God. Just worship only God. Now, it, you know, this is a good angel. You know, this angel that is here talking to John is an awesome angel. Why do I say that? Because John falls at his feet. What, what, the, what that angel has seen, how the angel probably appeared, John is freaked out. I mean, this is not an angel who's hanging out on a pack of toilet paper. This is not an angel that's propped on the top of your candy dish. Right? This is not an angel bobblehead on the dashboard of your car or on the air freshener in your car. This angel is a being of light, much less powerful than God, but certainly much more fearsome than man. I imagine having a revelation granted to uh, somebody through an angel would make them fall down. But John didn't just fall down. You, you read the scripture. He fell down, and this is his confession. He is led to add this to the holy rendering of this book. He fell down and worshiped. And I love this angel. See, this angel didn't fall for, the, for Satan's error, right? He didn't want to take God's place. This angel goes, don't do that. Amen? Don't do that. This is how you'll always know. If you happen to run up on an angel, if they're pushing you to worship God, they're with the Lord. If they're pushing you to Worship them, they're not with the Lord. Say amen. Now, if y'all happen to run up on an angel tonight, try to get video footage. I'd like to see it. But this is actually one of the key messages of the book of the Revelation. And, and if you were in refuel the other night, you would know this is one of the key themes of the actual end times. This antichrist that rises up, that is, that is empowered by the beast, that is endorsed, by Satan himself, he will say that he is a God above every God, a God unique outside of every God and demands all worship. Just go read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I said 1 Thessalonians a moment ago. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It actually says he'll put himself up in that place and he'll proffer himself as the unique one worthy of worship. So here's this messenger of God saying this is a message from God and when John gets it he falls down to worship the messenger and the messenger this holy beautiful messenger says don't do that <laughs> don't do that here's a sub sermon you won't find in your notes but take it in in your ears you're a good friend you're a good friend when you see your friend giving reverence to something that won't do him any good and you say don't do that Worship only God. What a powerful message for a disciple of Jesus. This is the second time John has done this. We won't back up and go there, but in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, he was overwhelmed. He bowed down before an angel. What does the angel tell him? No, man, don't do that. Keep the words of this book. That's what he tells him in Revelation 19. What does he tell him here? Don't do that. Just worship God. This is your instruction to point you to God. 
I might be your messenger, but I'm not even your instructor. God is only worthy of your worship. Thirdly, what this book has taught me in fresh ways is to stay ready for Jesus to come. Somebody say amen to that. Stay ready for Jesus to come. I can't even remember what year it was now. I just remember I, I hadn't been walking with the Lord for a very long time. When the shooting, shootings at Columbine School happened, it seems like it happened in the very late 90s, very early 2000s. I don't remember the year. And what got me was the testimony of one of the students about one of the slain students. It says the shooter walks up to the student and asks them, do they believe in Jesus? And they said they did, and, and the shooter slew them. And I thought, wow, how bold in that moment was the shooter looking for someone who didn't believe in Jesus? Was the shooter looking for someone who did believe in Jesus? Could any words have changed the shooter's mind? In a, in a way, it, it almost doesn't matter. Now, now, I'm not being callous. What I'm saying, what was most important for that young person was that they tell the truth about their walk for their own sake. Come what may. This book has reminded me just stay ready for Jesus to come. Or maybe I might say, stay ready to go see Jesus. He tells us in verse number 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. That almost seems like he's saying nobody, you know, if you're, if you're a sinner and you hear this, don't repent. No, in very eastern ways of writing, what is being conveyed here is when he comes, you won't have time to fix anything, so stay steady. And surely if you've got time to read that and the Holy Ghost is calling you into repentance, repent and then don't fall back into another way of life. This is surely a message of readiness, a message of readiness. You know, I had this funny conversation with somebody the other day. We were getting ready to travel, and I was a little bit afraid that my bag would be searched, and I had a handgun in my bag. And uh, I said, man, I better, I better take this handgun out. And I pulled it out, and, and I had four clips with it. And he says, why do you have so many clips? I says, there's so many people. And fortunately, they knew I was joking, you know. And they said, no, seriously, why do you have... So many, I said, no, seriously. <laughs> and I explained to him, I said, these are critters. We, we've been having a lot of critter troubles at our house. These are critter bullets. They're cheap bullets. And I said, and these are evil critter bullets. These are the kind, when they hit you, they go splat, spread out, and go through much wider than they started. This person didn't know anything about handguns. And they said, can you explain this to me? I say, step, back, step away 10 paces. <laughs> I said, I'll explain it to you up close. He said, man, you make me nervous. I said, great, I'm trying to. Isn't it funny how he was right there near that gun in my vehicle and was not nervous until he had an awareness that it existed? How many precious souls have no awareness of the possibility of the return of Jesus? We who know it, we should tremble in excitement. 
We should tremble in accountability. We should labor in excitement because we know the day of the Lord is coming. That's why, fourthly, I would say that Jesus gives us here the sweetest and scariest words that are ever spoken. I am coming soon. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? I am coming soon. You know, the other day, we, we've got a new financial clerk at My Life Matters, and, uh, and I, I think uh, our, our two office folks just do a fantastic job, but she was going through her first audit ever, you know, and the auditor's coming, and she's all keyed up, and she's, she's sending out requesting that we pray. The audit's Friday, pray. The audit's Friday, pray. The audit's tomorrow, pray. The audit's today, pray. She has pulled out all these records. She gives up her entire office, and the guy comes in and does this, that, and the third, and all of a sudden, there's this little quiet knock at my door, and the financial clerk comes in and goes, it's over. Because they have pursued excellence, a lot of the fretting was foolish. I don't mean foolish in a way to condemn them. It was useless. There's this sort of rest that the book of Revelation invites you to. If you're walking with the Lord, rest in his goodness. Rest that the blood of Jesus covers you. Rest that you're included in the elect. Rest that your name is in the book of life. But what if this lady hadn't had all her receipts together, all of her notes together, all of her computer records what if they were askew, out of order? What if there was some evidence that she had dr drug her feet for a month during the record-keeping season? But she hadn't. So she was worrying, worrying. She was scared needlessly. Man, it's hard to say wor worrying. She real worried. <laughs> As it turns out, for nothing. Right? But it's not for nothing. This holy trepidation and this desire to do a good job had caused her to do a good job all year long. So that it was in, when it was investigated, it wasn't a big deal. I, I think the book of the Revelation has done this to me in a fresh way. I'm coming soon. Well, what's the best way to not get in trouble? Be living with the Lord. Be abiding. Be keeping short accounts. Be accountable. Be laboring. Now, if somebody was going to audit me tomorrow, it would be impossible. You know why? I just keep receipts long enough to scan them into that little thing so I can get points, so I can get free gift cards to restaurants, and then I throw them away. In other words, I have no bookkeeping motivation. I just want gift cards. All right? Good thing I'm not an accountant, right? So what is the accounting service of the body of Christ? Look what he says in verse 12 one more time. Behold, I am coming to you, bringing my recompense to repay each one for what he's done. Wow. To repay each one for what he's done. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, our sins are hidden in Christ. Our works will be judged by the Lord. Right? Somebody should have said right. So why does this matter at the end? 
I think it's a twofold reality. One, God gave us the gift of salvation for us to live for him, not just to sit around and polish it. You don't believe me? Go home tonight. It's so hard to resist turning here in the Bible. Go home tonight and look up this parable of the talents. A couple weeks ago, Will Bailey was writing some curriculum for high school ministry, and he just labored over that passage, didn't you, Will? Just labored. He was talking to everybody. It was actually beautiful to witness. He's getting everybody's take on it. And here's the big takeaway. Seems like God means for you to use what he puts in your hands. Amen? The book of the Revelation reminds me that he's going to come back, and there's going to be an accounting. There will be an accounting for those who are outside of the faith that will be dreadful. There will be an accounting for those in the faith. What all will it mean? Stay tuned. Live long enough. We'll preach through the whole Bible and discover that. The truth is, we'll stand before the Lord, and it will matter. Do you want to try to catch up receipts for a decade, or do you hear the warning to labor for him well today? That's what Revelation has done for me. It's scary, and it's sweet. I am coming soon. When I went to get up this morning, my back didn't want to move, and I'm like, come, Lord Jesus. Right, But I drive down the boulevard, and they're hung out outside Biscuitville, and I start thinking bad things. I'm like, give me five minutes to repent, Lord Jesus. It's scary and it's sweet. Fifthly, I think we need to see something here. Clothed in righteousness, evidenced by obedience, the faithful have a grand reward. However, those outside are outside, and that's scary. Now, if you happen to be using something besides the ESV, say you're using the New King James Bible, yours might read like this. Instead of saying, blessed are those who wash their robes, yours might read, blessed are those who do his commandments. Now, if you're a Bible student at all, you say, man, which one is it? Because that seems different. Well, somewhere along the line, in some of the oldest manuscripts, three letters were changed in a word. And there are so many copies of the manuscript, we don't know whether it should be. We don't know whether it should be, uh, blessed are those who wash their robes, or blessed are those who do his commandments. But it's a Greek word that is literally about this long, and somewhere along the line, very early on, three letters were changed. But here's the truth. Casey, if you remember, we're going through John 8, right? Could that story of the woman, could that be a real story? Absolutely it could, right? Probably added in, but could it be true? Yes. Which one of these could be true? The answer is yes. We want to be robed in the righteousness of Jesus. And if we're wearing those robes, we want to be obedient to Jesus. If we're seeking to be obedient, we want to make sure we're wearing the clothes he requires to be in the wedding feast. I'm not even going to try. I practice. I promise you all, I practice for 10 solid minutes on trying to pronounce these two words. Okay, for you, Casey. All right, here's the, here's the word for washing their robes. It's hoipluno testastalos. Thank you, thank you. I'll be looking for my cookies afterwards. And here's the word for do his commandments. Hoipoun testanolos. Somebody wrote like a doctor for three letters. You can go back in the very oldest copies, both words can be found. Cool thing is, both are true, 
Are you robed in the righteousness of Jesus, or are you trying to wear your own clothes to the wedding feast? Do you have such a walk with Jesus that is evidenced by a desire to obey his lordship? The point is this simple across the scope of the book of the Revelation. If we really know him, we really know him, and it'll all pan out. If we don't know him, rut row raggy. That's very, very scary. Very scary. Sixthly and quickly, and oh my goodnessly, lest we not feel the weight of an angel's warning, Jesus speaks in this passage. Now, if you carefully read Revelation 22 like I did, man, it gets confusing. Is the angel talking? Is John talking? Is Jesus talking? And in a couple places, it's really like, which one is it? So I, I, I thought it was important to point out verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus. <laughs> Who's really behind this? Is Jesus. He said, I sent that angel to testify to you about these things. You know, um, what's beautiful about this is, and a little, again, this is a little scary too. Do you hear this like the words of Jesus? If you're a disciple of Jesus, do you hear this like the words of Jesus? That is actually one of the commendations the Apostle Paul made for one group of people. He said, listen, when y'all heard us, if you'll let me paraphrase, when you heard us, you took it like it was oracles of God, right? When you heard us read and expound on the book of the Revelation, have you taken it, disciple of Jesus, as a word from Jesus? Have you taken it to heart? Have you just endured the teaching or have you absorbed the teaching? I love that Jesus says, I, Jesus, said this. Next, I'd like us to see this as we move closer toward the end. Trust me, we are. I love how the Bible tells us here that the Spirit and the Bride both speak. And they give the most beautiful invitation to any who would hear and receive. He says, come. Wasn't that a beautiful passage to read? And thank you, Casey, for leading us to that passage from Isaiah 55, I believe it was, right? Come. If you're thirsty, come. Well, I'm thirsty. I want the water. I couldn't afford it. This water is pure. It's flowing from heaven to us. Now, this is the invitation. And if you happen to be tonight sitting in the audience and you have yet to make your peace with God, then from heaven to John, through an angel, across the scope of faithful transcribing into the English language, to the calling of a little country boy in Person County, God himself has used my tongue to invite you to come. Come. This invitation is to you. Somebody might say, I don't understand all of this, Christian. Just accept the invitation to come. You'll learn the ideology. You'll learn the doctrine. You'll learn the theology. Just come. Are you thirsty to be at peace with God? Just come. Someone else might say, if you knew what kind of life I've lived, you wouldn't make this invitation. God knows what kind of life you've lived, and he is inviting you to come. If you knew what kind of life I've lived, you wouldn't want to hear me preach, but God invited me to come. Somebody might say, I don't know. I don't know if I can make the changes and live this new Christian life. Just come. Just come. Somebody else might say, I'm not worthy. Just come. 
On the one hand, you're right. You're not worthy. That's why he hides you in Christ, the one who is worthy. And he keeps you there and holds you there. And he's so pleased with his son that whoever's hidden in his son, they become worthy because of his son. You may not feel worthy. That feeling is true. Still come. Someone else might say, well, I'm not that bad. You still need to come. If you're not Jesus, and you're not still got to come. No one is so bad that they could not come to God. And no one is so good that they can avoid coming to God. This invitation is to all who are thirsty, not only to come, but to drink freely. The grace of God is being offered to you through the book of the Revelation. This is for you. Would you come? Would you believe that the blood of Jesus covers your sin? The resurrection of Jesus guarantees you a new life. Would you come? And whether John, an angel, or Jesus, whoever say in any part of this, I would say this to you. Whether it's John, whether it's the angel, whether it's Jesus, hear and heed. Hear this. Hear this. And heed this word of prophecy. My next big point is kind of seems silly, but it's not. Don't go fiddling with this book of prophecy. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Let the difficulty and the pain and the scary parts land heavy on your heart. Receive the message. Hear the invitation. Come and believe God will execute judgment and believe God will rescue you from his judgment. Believe both. Don't go fiddling with this book. And last but not least, from first to last, this book is about readiness and watchfulness. If you look back in your Bibles at verse 20, he says, surely I'm coming soon. I love how the John the Revelator reacts to that. He says, amen. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. If you got a bulletin, well, tonight is definitely one of those times it's a bulletin. It's a lot of stuff in there. You need to read it. You definitely need to get signed up for Academy Day. Christina, the schedule's in here. <laughs> she made a request for the schedule, so I'm letting her know. Christina, make sure you read it. I'll autograph the schedule for you later, Christina. But I tell a story in there, and uh, it's worth telling out loud. I tell a story about how our family, when the girls were real little, we built a manger together. And they were real little, so it's, it's not, everything's not cut the same. It wobbles a little bit. But, but they actually helped me do it. And we, we got Connie Stone to take some. She took some kind of paint pen, and she painted Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, in the manger. And we pull it out, and we remember how suddenly and how strangely the first coming of Jesus was when he came to Bethlehem, and they laid him in a manger. And we look toward the promise of his coming again, and we want to be a family who cultivates an eager expectation for the coming of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you have an eager expectation? Do you have a watchfulness in your walk, a readiness in your service? Do you ever gaze eastward and say, come on? Do you ever gaze inward and say, make me ready for your coming? Do you ever gaze around and say, send me to a world that's blind and deaf to your coming? 
the Apostle John, having been so thoroughly stricken into worship at this revelation, when the Lord Jesus says to him, surely I am coming soon, he says, amen, come on. Come on. As we close our formal preaching on the book of the Revelation, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters and friends, that's where my heart is too. I make the ancient cry of the church. Maranatha. Come on, Lord. Come on. We want you. We need you. But surely if he delays, it is in his wisdom and because of his mercy. Anybody in here without looking happen to know what the last verse of the Old Testament says? Anybody? Stand up if you do. Anybody know? Part of it says this. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What you won't find in your notes is my last exhortation. I want Jesus to come so bad. I'm tired. It'd be great if he'd come before election 2024. Praise God. For I see so many people I presently have some respect for, I'll lose my respect for them in fresh ways. Just telling you, I will. Oh, my Jesus. Right? But his coming, the book of Revelation does tell us, will lead to the wiping away of our tears, the resolution of our pains, the ends of our sorrows. But it will also mean that many... Many will be cast out. Not just cast out of his presence, but cast into hell. So not only is the book of the Revelation encouraged my walk with Jesus, it has encouraged my desire to see men and women and boys and girls hear the gospel, that they might turn, that they might turn and know him. What has it done in your walk? In the coming days, I'd love to hear your testimonies. It's made me more watchful. It's made me more ready. It's made me more tender. It's made me more trembling. And it sure has given me a revival in looking at the souls of others. This stuff is delightful for the person who is abiding in Jesus, and it's scary for anybody that's not. So I have to ask you tonight, are you safe in the arms of Jesus? Just like Noah built the ark and God saved Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives by sealing them in the ark, God would seal you in Christ Jesus. How do you know that you know that you have this? Well, the Bible says it's simple. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. How do you know you'll keep him? Keep walking with him. You start walking with him, keep walking with him. And then tomorrow, walk with him. And then tomorrow, walk with him. Let him revolutionize your entire life because that's the business he's in. He wants you to follow him in everything all the time. But day one, you don't have to solve that. Day one, you have to believe. You have to switch from unbelief to belief. You have to switch from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus. Would you come to him today? Would you make your profession of faith known public? Would you, would you, Come into the waters of baptism. Would you renew your baptism? And I don't mean you got to get baptized again. Would you remember that you're dead and resurrected? 
I believe you should renew your baptism every day. You should remember, I'm, I'm dead and buried and risen and alive. Hallelujah. I pray the book of the Revelation has been a blessing to you as it has to me. What song are we going to sing, John? It is you. As we sing, you don't, you don't need me. The altar is yours. But if I can pray with you, if Casey can pray with you, we certainly would love to do that. Father, as we sing in response, I pray that you would deal with our hearts in fresh ways. For those who are in the covenant faith, I pray tonight that they find fresh encouragement. And Father, if there's something that hinders our readiness, our watchfulness, I pray that you, you love your children very well and point it out to them and lead us to sweet places of repentance. And there's someone who is yet to accept your invitation to come. And forget my voice, Lord. Make them hear your voice. Call them to yourself. Cause them to receive your gift, to believe on your son, and to be comforted by your promises. In Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.